welcome to episode 56 of Come On You Reds, the TFC podcast. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Gareth Wheeler. My name, of course, Devang Desai. Wheels, it's been a while. Well, you were gallivanting, you were <laughs> off trailblazing, wow. hoisting trophies. I think gallivanting is a bit of a harsh word to use, but I definitely was uh, out and about the if, last few weeks. If you know Devang, he's got a strut. Okay, <laughs> let, let's just go with strut. He's, and if you don't, now you just assume I am a, a, a ghoul, a ghoul walking around town with a, a cynical smile. No, it was, a, it, was a, it was a long trip, of course, from Orlando to Vancouver and then back home to play Seattle. Three games with three very different outcomes, I think you could say. Uh, Wheels, how about this? We'll start. We'll, we'll do, do you want to start up. singing champion? <laughs> no? I think actually we'll start with the, the the negative news, which was the result in Orlando due to some right. some incredible officiating once again, which seems to, to rear its ugly head every week in MLS. And in Orlando news as well, they fired Adrian Heath yesterday, recording this on a Thursday. Adrian Heath is out in, in Orlando, and it seems like the Brazilian ownership is really putting their stamp on the club. But anyways... That well, and, and sorry, just yeah. Heath is a guy that remained dedicated and committed to that club. So although it was seemingly inevitable, um, it's too bad for a guy like Adrian who remained loyal to that club through their transition into MLS. So it's, it's tough for me. For what he did in USL, winning multiple titles, even, even their yeah. Austin days to, to leading the charge. And if you look at Orlando, and I think the thing that impressed me the most is... All around Florida, you saw Orlando stickers everywhere. This club has really put an, an imprint on the community and done exceptionally well building building their brand in in that area. And I, I was extremely impressed by that. It's too bad they play on turf, but yeah. yes, yeah, that's the one thing holding them back. They have a great fan base, and that new stadium's coming yeah, next right. year, correct? Is it so, next year? I believe so. I believe so. Can't so. come soon enough because playing on as a side note to that game, playing on that field. I know it was an evening game, but in Florida on the it was over a hundred. It, it just it's it's. It's not right for the players to have to play on that surface in that weather. So the sooner that they get the grass stadium, the better. The conditions were extremely difficult. I think if you left your hand on that pitch at kickoff for longer than five seconds, you might get a burn developed on there. That's how hot it was. Multiple water breaks. TFC comes out on the wrong side of a 3-2. A thrilling game if you're a neutral, but utterly bizarre in so many ways. Jordan Hamilton hauled down in the box by Joe Bendick. No call. The referee staring at it. We go the other way. Drew Moore whistled for a foul in the box on Julio Baptista, which I think, I mean, Julio Baptista knows what he's doing there. He's going down looking for a call, and he got it. Soft. He got it. Soft. Kaká with the latest goal in MLS history in the 100th minute from the penalty spot. So much happened. I think the biggest thing to come in that game, of course they lost, but Clint Irwin going down, which at the time was, and it's still, a massive, massive blow to the side. And Alex Bono coming in green. At that time, it looked a lot worse than I thought it was. Now, the diagnosis for Clint is that he's probably out till mid-August, which obviously not great, but it could be worse, and, and we're seeing Alex Bono get some minutes. But I think the mood after that game was, all right, things went against TFC in every possible way, but you got to pull up your socks and go to Vancouver yeah. across the continent and win a championship. I'm not going to lie, that first 15 minutes was the most important part of that game for me in terms of Alex Bono, and I thought he he, he did well. Mm-hmm. You make that save on Matty Laba right before halftime, and that was the thing. Well, since that, the that, one mistake in Orlando, he hasn't done much wrong. Yeah. He, like, 
there's a couple times where he hasn't been on the same page with his back line in terms of distribution, passing the ball back. But that comes in time when when the defenders start knowing the preferences of the goalkeeper and a young goalkeeper at that who's still finding his legs. So other than that, I mean, it's a big spot, but this is why you took him so high in the super draft and you need to trust that you brought in the right player at a time like this. I had so many people ask me, well, do they bring in another goalkeeper? Well, it just depends about how long... Clint's out for but I think you run with Alex right now and you trust that the defensive core of this team is much better in previous years you just got to keep it simple and that's what the team has been able to do thus far a lot of questions of why it was Bono over Q I think and Greg Vanny said it this week timing if this if this if Clint went down earlier in the season it probably would have been Quillen Roberts in goal because he was getting the majority of the starts in the USL side and playing better you could say but but then he came out of the team so right and where where we stood at that moment it was Alex Bono playing yeah. the better ball and, and he got his shot you go to Vancouver I mean I don't I don't think I could explain just, how just insane. Can, can, can I just share a quick thought on Orlando for sure like, for sure very quickly. Because we've watched Euro 2016, cagey, difficult stuff, but the referees haven't made game-changing calls unless they've had to. And 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 for me, that's exactly what that late penalty against Drew Moore was. It, it was it was unnecessary. It was a game-changing call when the referee blatantly looked the other way, not making a game-changing call the other way on Joe Bendik. It's so con- it's confounding to me that he decided to make Isma Faith decided to make that call. That like. Maybe 2-2 was the fairest result from that game it, you could to have me, had, To right? me, it shows a lack of understanding when it comes to a referee. Like, if a referee gets a call wrong 50 yards away from goal, then so be it, okay? It's not game-changing. No one's going to lose their mind. It might be the right or wrong, whatever. But in that moment, a referee needs to understand what's on at stake at that time. And just that complete lack of awareness for me is what continually brings this league down. And it's it's not just like late penalty calls it's like sending offs when you could just show a player a caution it's like always err on the side of being conservative in your call but there's too much grandstand and i don't understand it and i don't think that these referees are bad i just think that when the heat is on when the when the big moments happen they're just not sure how to deal with the situation and perhaps it's the way that they're being taught Judge, make your judgment based upon the book. But I've always said this to Vang. Yes, there's the laws of the game, but you need to make sure that you adjudicate appropriately because if you end up sending off every player for every, you know, red card offense, then you're going to end up 7v8 more times yeah. than not. Like, you need to have an understanding of what's on the line. And that, for me, was the biggest failure there. And just icing on the cake, Josh Williams gets a red card for dissent. I'm like, come on. Come but I didn't blame Josh. I liked how Josh... I mean, who who wasn't? Who wasn't on that field? I was who at was home watching, that? yelling at the television, yeah. waking up my wife and my dog. Like... Yeah. I, I, and I anyways, and you saw, you saw I couldn't it. even imagine the the work that it puts in. You spend, you, you know, we speak about the conditions they played in. Ninety minutes of football, you're down some of your core players. You're playing in heat. You're playing an away game, and you've come from behind to potentially earn a point. Then it's all taken away from you like that. So I don't blame Josh or any other player that loses at that time. A hundred percent agreement. We'll move on to Vancouver. Siri, oh, sorry, Siri's getting in I, yeah, here. Siri's sorry. getting in here. <laughs> um, Vancouver TFC, TFC one 0 up going into the final deciding leg at BC Place in Vancouver. Akeji first half, as I said before, Bono makes a big save on Maddie Laba, the former TFC yes. player. 
which was gigantic. I think Huge. that was that was got him in the game and got him comfortable going forward. Second half does not go start well. Nicholas Mosquita is subbed in and immediately makes a difference, making it one one after some some slack defending from the back line. Tim Parker makes it two one in the sixty seventh minute. Vancouver is about to go through. We go through the final twenty three minutes of regular time with TFC not really able to get forward with any sort of menacing intent. Raheem Edwards makes his TFC debut. And then the goal. The goal, I think, will go down currently as the greatest goal in TFC history. Most dramatic, for sure. Will Johnson sells his body out, lays it all on the line with an incredible strike that I don't think, nine times out of ten, that's not going in because there's three defenders guarding that goal after Usted and Waston collided. Will's out for six weeks because of that effort he put in, but TFC are Canadian champions how big do you think that goal was? Because if that if that doesn't happen, the the mood surrounding this team is considerably different. Massive. I I, I spoke to multiple people with within the Montreal and Vancouver organizations. They wanted this trophy. Um, anytime that you can win silverware, you go out and do it. And it would have been desperately disappointing. And for me, it wouldn't have been deserved if Toronto FC fell in that tie. They should have won the f- first leg by far more than a goal. And for it to come down to that moment, you know, just a couple of lapses defensively down the Toronto SC left side to cost him a couple of goals, it just, I had a, it would have left a bad taste in my mouth. And I, and, and, and again, I wasn't there, but I was watching from home and I was like, man, I really felt for the boys. And then Edwards comes in and it was, the way that he defended Blas Perez on a clear cut opportunity. And and Bono got a toe on that too, by the way. I, on, on Perez had another chance, I, th- I believe, later on. I was on. like, oh, okay, maybe. And then Usted makes a massive mistake and to be punished that way. Like I wasn't even sure the way that the television call was. <laughs> if the ball went in the back <laughs> of the net, I was not. like, is it a goal? I was and there and I wasn't sure. Because of the, ever, the aftermath yeah. of everyone laying on the ground. But then once you realize that the Vancouver players were utterly distraught. So many things I liked about that. What were a couple things? Pamudukas, childish behavior on the sidelines, among other Vancouver players throwing balls onto the pitch right. during that added time. They got a yellow card for it, so that's the reason why it was longer than four minutes for the fans aggrieved over on the but West I, Coast. Hold on a second, but they, yeah, they were like um, wasting time, however they could, and it wasn't as if the referee gave two minutes. It was fifteen yeah. seconds over the four yeah. minutes, and the Vancouver Whitecaps were warned. Yeah. I had no problem, and that—that's what referees do not do nearly enough yeah. is to allow time added on for time wasting in the time added on. He was trying to hide behind a ball boy. That's what Kyle was doing, hiding the ball on his shirt. And then my favorite moment is. So I'm I'm up in the press box and I can see the Vancouver bench and they're about to get the celebrations ready. They're mimicking a water bottle, acting as if it's a champagne bottle, spraying multiple bottles in the air. And this is as Will is lining up to take that kick and scoring. And I can't remember which player it was, but he just dropped both water bottles and stared in utter disbelief at what had happened. And it was maybe my favorite moment since working for this club. It right. was incredible. Well, well the, incredible. the thing was the goal. I'll always remember the goal, but then I'll remember the hush. Just the, like the deafening pause. Silence. <laughs> it was just shock uh. that that just went down. And even the trophy to celebrate, everything was so muted because I think both teams were kind of surprised <laughs> yeah. how it played out. Like everyone was just like, okay, Toronto FC won. <laughs> And I just would have loved for that goal to be scored at BMO Field. You know, I just, it would have been, it would have gone off because it was such a dramatic moment. 
and it ended just in complete shock and awe and um, a well-deserved championship victory. Toronto FC down key players throughout the competition. Massive congestion in terms of their schedule, playing weekend, weekday games. Um, like I said, missing key players, facing adversity, and being able to come out on top. It, it, it speaks volumes to the commitment of the team and the coaching staff and the depth of the team to kind of shine through and help see this team through some very difficult times. A well-deserved player of the tournament for Benoit Sheru, yes. who's been the, oh. who the glue for this team over a difficult month of June, helping them survive and get out of it. So we move from this. I, I think about where this team would be without Benny, and we saw, a, and we'll get into it, the way that they played Seattle, a very young midfield as some of the veteran players were rested, but... Benoit Sheru, at, at such an important time when some of the leaders had fallen out of the team through injury, he's been a player that stepped up and just his composure, his leadership, his communication, it's all been exemplary. And this is exactly what members of Toronto SC said before he came to the club and said, you just wait to see how important this player is going to be to the team. And I think a lot of people ruled him out. Like after his sending off in Colorado and he was dealing with some injuries, I kind of, in my mind, had pushed Shea Rue to the side saying, he'll be back when he's back. He's not really going to be part of the plans. He's an older player now. But the way that he stepped in, he silenced the critics and really shown his true worth. And it's commendable what he's done and how the team's rallied around him. I've said this before on the show as well. One of the nicer people I've met in the professional game in terms of just yeah. the way he treats people on and off the, on, off the field. Class all the way. So happy. He has a yeah. huge role to play for the rest of the season. Well, like, we'll, really, really does. We'll get into this in the final segment, but I don't think it can be understated how important he is going to be yeah. going forward. And that's why, as a segue, he was rested against Seattle at least to start. As you said, Wheels TFC employs an extremely young midfield with Subasa Endo, Marky Delgado, and Jay Chapman leading <laughs> leading against a Seattle team that, to be honest... It's like a boy band. <laughs> it is. Three-person boy band. Can you name a three-person boy band off? Uh, off Hanson. Hanson, wow. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on from that. Don't uh, ask me why. going forward... Uh, Seattle, not a very good team, to be honest. I was not. In, I know they were missing some key players, but I was not impressed in the least by what they had to offer. And I thought TFC should have done better in that first half in terms of the chances they created. Jordan Hamilton, the goal-scoring dynamo lately. I think the, the emergence of Jay Hams is one of the bigger positives yeah. to come out. But in the end, a 1-1 draw, I think the, the sentiment around the team was that they felt they should have got three points. But you were able to rest some guys that needed some rest desperately. And Justin Morrow drew more. Benoit came on for the last 10 or so minutes, but a point's a point. The East is not very good in general, and you're not going to fall out of the picture by by only taking a point in that game, but I kind of wish I, I wish there was a little more to take away from that the, one. The, the role players stepped up. I looked at that team, and only three or four regular starters yeah. started that game. Yeah. And so you take, everyone you take in the this point. Lo- everyone in this squad has played a part for I know. this club going forward. I know. Literally everyone. Betasure wearing the armband. Like, Betasure... One of Perkis or Zavs will start moving forward, one of the two, because yeah. I think Eric has played well enough to put himself in the conversation there, and and, and Seba. And yeah. other than that, these were role players, players fighting for their position in the team, stepping up. And in the first half, you're right, there was three clear-cut chances. There was a chance for Sebastian Javinko that he, like, he doesn't miss. He doesn't miss. He's just... 
He's in he, a funk right now. He is, and all players go through it. I don't care. Even the best players in the yeah. world go yeah. through it. Um, and Seb is fighting it a little bit right now, and I think that this weekend after a week off is a really good spot for him against Chicago. We'll speak about that in a few moments. Um, Jay Chapman, for all the work that he does off the ball, he's got to finish. Now, this has been two, three, or four clear-cut chances he's missed in opportunities. And when you're that attacking midfield-type player, that's your role, that's your job, and you're finding, you're doing everything right in the build-up. Right. You, just a little bit more composure in front of goal. And then the other time, I forget who it was, Subasa and someone collided. It may have been Chapman. No, I think it was Jay Ham. Yeah, Jay Ham. So I believe. No, no, you're right. It was Chapman. You're right. Two players yeah. collided. Yeah. It was just a little bit clumsy as yeah. well. Those were three um, clear-cut chances they had. In fairness, I thought Seattle did really well in the second half. Osvaldo Alonso, I think he grew as the game went on, and he dropped deeper because he knew that he had to yeah. cover a lot more ground. And I thought he was a difference maker, and you just hate conceding a goal a minute after you I think get that's, one. That, that's the most disappointing part, switching off so literally seconds after getting ahead. Good finish though. by Morris, but like yeah. you got to close down that player. Yeah. It was but a, I, I take that five point. Games, I don't think that's yeah. a bad point five, coming off of like a crazy hectic period of time. You just won a title on Wednesday night. Yeah. You sustained a couple more injuries, and then you have to come home, rest players off that high of winning, and then play a team that's in a little bit of a funk that the game matters to them as well. I don't know. For me, when you look at games on the schedule, that was a problem spot for me. Now, if they come out and play that way this coming weekend against Chicago, different story, but I take that result to Vang. Five games in 15 days, I tend to agree with you there. I think they did well flying cross-country after the euphoria yes. of winning the championship and getting a point of that. Shout-out to Hercules Gomez. He, I think he made a difference for Seattle as well. Mark Plume with a goal-line stop on a, a Gomez chance. And I, but I think before we take a break and move on, shout out to Mark Bloom. It's been an incredibly long road back yeah. since that incident with Will Johnson when he was a member of Portland in 2014. Mark is one of the better people, people in the game. And I was extremely happy to see him make his return in the field and play well and in, a, in yeah. a position he doesn't normally play at left back. That, that's so. the thing. He didn't just return after 18 yeah. months. He played a left wing back yeah. position. Yeah. The, do you like the 3-5-2 or the 5-3-2? In, in, uh, because they, they might have to play it with Will and Michael out for a they, while. I know Benny will check back in and Oso and yeah. you have players, but it's an option for this team. They look a lot more comfortable doing it this year than they did at times last year. I know they only, only tried it maybe twice. I believe against Columbus and Seattle last year and this year we've seen it maybe three times. Right. They look a lot more comfortable doing it. I thought Damian was excellent in his return in the starting lineup as well, which is nice to see. They have the players that can do it. I think it wasn't like there was a lack of scoring opportunities either, no. which I think is one of those issues you have with that formation. So, Well, if, if you had the the wingbacks to play that way, and I think Steven can do it going forward. I was surprised it worked so well considering Mark Bloom's naturally a right-sided player and Nick Hagelin, who's playing towards the left-hand yeah. side, is naturally a right-footed player. Nick also played well. I, there's a lot of promising stuff going on at the back for the Reds. I know it, and it's it's a huge boon for Alex Bono, who's yeah. still feeling his way out as a professional, right? So, I wouldn't rule out playing it. As, I think that you get into a little trouble with the wing players can't get up and down, and if the two players up high aren't doing their job. But both Jordan and Seba have shown a, a real um, willingness to get after it and put in the running. So... Um, I think that this formation can work, not long-term. I don't think that this, come playoff time, you'll be looking at a team that's structured like this. But to get through some difficult days, short or down some men, I, I think it's a system that they've looked relatively comfortable playing. 
Boom. 20 minutes. Segment one in the books. Wheels killing it. I think we were champing at the bit. Champing at the bit? I believe Chomping? I think it's champing. I think sure. the British, sure. whatever colloquialism you want to use. Bang, it's done. Next segment, the last one. The transfer window is opened. It's expected TFC will make some some forays in the market, whether it's dealing or, or acquiring some midfielders with the injuries they have. And, of course, the Chicago Fire coming to BMO Field on Saturday night. We'll preview that right after the break. This is Benoit Cheroux, and you're listening to Come On Your Weds. Welcome back to episode 56 of Come On You Reds, the TorontoFC.ca podcast. My name is Devang Desai, and I'm joined by Gareth Wheeler. Mr. Wheeler, almost at the end of the Euro 2016. How are you alive right now? <laughs> That's my big <laughs> no, question. No, it's been... It, at the end of every day, you kind of are like, okay, we're done with that for the day. But then you wake up the next day, and you're excited about the games to come. Yeah. I think that there's been some wonderful storylines at Euro 2016 with the likes of Iceland and Wales going on runs. But I think that the tournament, and, and maybe we'll see one by the time you listen to this in France, Germany, you need like that one vintage game. You need that one standalone game that you're just that you just say that has you saying wow yeah and there's been some wow moments and i think the, st- the tournament started off really good because there were so many late goals and a lot of drama but now teams have like really decided to play it safe which i don't think it, it does the game justice like my biggest gripe with portugal is not that they made the final because they have some very talented players it's that they haven't used their talent they played so safe and defensive and pragmatic that I don't think you've been able to sit back and enjoy just how good these players are. So it's left me wanting a little something. But big tournaments tend to play out this way. This is my fourth or fifth one that I've covered like this. So um, I've kind of grown accustomed to it. At least we've seen some goals in this tournament. Some of them, it's, it's been really difficult to watch. The Euro 2016 winding down, the MLS summer grind kicking into gear. Mm. The transfer window is also open. So we've outlined Michael Bradley, Will Johnson out till at least mid-August, you would assume so. I would, I would, would, That would be a safe bet. I think for Michael, it could be sooner. We all know he's an ultimate gamer and he wants to get back as soon as possible. And he's he's willing to put his body at line at all times. But for the club going forward, I think they're going to take as much precaution as they need. Will, it's a break. It's a bit of a, it's a so who knows. They both can use a break, they to do. tell you the yeah. truth. Like, I know they're so injured, but that, they can use this to kind of recoup. That leads me to my question. Are you, out, Are you if you're Tim Bezbachenko and Greg Vanny, are you out there actively seeking a, a midfielder that can hold beside Benny? And are you willing to trade some of your defensive surplus? I don't think that you want to make any decision in a vacuum bringing in a player for a short-term need right now. Because the, the team has done well enough to kind of stay afloat during a difficult time and you have to keep in mind Devang they have a lot of home games coming up they've only played six games MLS home games I believe they only have six road games remaining yeah so that's pretty crazy so that skews in your favor seven sorry seven that that skews in your favor as well so I think that is quite obvious what this team needs I think they need a backup right back Um, someone to step in behind Stephen Bateshire I know that Nick 
Uh, Nick can play there. Josh can play there. There's a number of center backs that can play right back. How many teams need a backup right back in the league, though? I feel like it's every team in the league. Maybe, maybe, but I, I just you don't have a young player ready coming through that can fill that role. You right. have young players that can fill the center back position. You have right. depth at left back. You have depth up, up front in the midfield. Um, so that's one position that I look to address. And this is just Wheeler yeah. speaking. Of course, I, I don't know if they are. And you're looking to bring in another player that can add some pace and maybe add some width to the front line. Um, that, can, that can play outside outside midfield or an outside wing position in a three-man attack. I just look for some more speed and some more width. That Those would be the two areas. Other than that, I like what I have. There is some players in the team that may have to go. Yeah. And you may want to address a need elsewhere because, um, I mean, look, we've, we've been talking about it all year. Like, the team has so many center halves. And a lot of them have stepped up. And when they played, they played very well, yeah. showing that they deserve minutes somewhere. And if they can't get it here because there's a number crunch, then perhaps they can find it elsewhere. But I think that each one of the players that have kind of stepped up and stepped in, they've done a nice job um, kind of filling those roles and showing that they do have worth, if not here, then elsewhere. Josie Altador returned to training on Tuesday. Oh, sorry, would you would you add anywhere else? I uh, I think I would look at the midfield market. To be yeah. honest, I would. If there was a veteran out there that you could possibly get for maybe a maybe one of those conditional or third round pick in the MLS Super Draft or something like that, if a team is looking to cut some salary, the other problem is. TFC would probably have to shed some salaries. Well, I know Hercules. See, they're congested Her- for me. Though, Hercules. Marquis really stepped up. Yeah. I love the way Marquis played. My again though, I I think. That I I would I wouldn't want to rely on such young players going forward entirely. And if and Ben was thirty five years old, I think it looks like he's found the fountain of youth in that tuck everlasting mold. But I would be more comfortable if they could land someone with some with some some miles under their treads, who's who've been around the league and know Another what it's veteran like. Player yeah, experience. yeah. Okay. And I, then I'm and then, not, you, and then we, it's that. no secret. It's no secret. And Greg Manny's talked about that. Tosan Ricketts, Canadian international, has been training with the club, and he's a possibility to be at some pace up front. But that leads me into my well, my, secondary scoring. Like it's it's the pace and the yeah. width and secondary scoring as well. And, and Ricketts is definitely a pace merchant. He's a speed yes. merchant, so we could definitely offer that in a Dom Maduro mold that Montreal has it, that they use effectively. And that's honestly, it's like it's like tinkering that the team needs, not an overall. Exactly. Just kind of exactly. filling. And I think adding some more pace it creates more space for a Seba. And like Jordan, I would have said the team needs another striker if Jordan Hamilton hasn't stepped up the way that he has. And this is going to be my my next question: Is Josie returned? To training this week. He's out for Chicago, but it looks like he could be a factor in that road trip when they go to Columbus San Jose. It's a good time. Do man. you consider do you consider playing Jordan and Josie together with Seba out left? In uh, in a, a bit f- of a it's a it's like it'd be like a four four two three uh, no a four one three two maybe. Do you know what you're, I, you're I, leaving yourself exposed though. I, I I don't wanna the the thing is because Jordan's played so well we almost want to look for a place to keep him in the lineup but right. would that be at for sake of you're gonna how be, good defensively they've you're been You're going to have to be careful with Josie so I think it's one or the other and I think that they both play the number 9 role and hearing Greg speak about playing to Jordan's strengths that he's an out and out striker and they need to play him in that role and and I think that that um that Josie plays in a very similar position and I think that one of them has to lead the line with Seba playing in behind yeah. as as a number ten or a nine and a half. And that that's the best. That's the way to get the most out of these players. Definitely not a bad thing to ease Josie back into the swing of no. things as well, right? He's he's hungry. He's hungry to get back in as well. And 
Jordan and Josie are similar. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. And I yes, that formation would seem kind of bizarre because they've been so good defensively, but that would kind of be throwing a, a curveball at their own, their own selves with that. Right. I, but it does give you options if you're chasing a game. Sure, and sure. There's, there's different ways that you can play it, but I, I think that a little bit more width, a little bit more pace would really be a proper addition to this team. The Chicago Fire come to town Saturday night, 7.30 p.m. Eastern on TSN4. Get down to BMO Field. We're expecting a sellout. And these crowds nice. on Saturday nights have been raucous. They've been amazing. I love the games out. under the lights. They're fantastic. It's just, it's fantastic. It, for me, a Saturday, like the Galaxy game was just such a gorgeous night. Yeah. And... I think the weather's supposed to be good. Is, is the weather, yeah, there's some, nope. ra- there's some, ra- there's some rain in the forecast, really? but that's what the roof is for, right? So you should be protected unless you're in the south end. But if you're in the south end, I don't think you really care if there's rain because you're, yeah. you're diehard till the day. Also, just a shout out: if you are coming down to BMO Field, there's a, there's a ton of stuff going on. WWE SummerSlam at the Rico Coliseum at seven, and a Keith on Urban Saturday, yeah, and Keith Urban at the Amphitheater at seven thirty. Oh so, my. Take Stay pu- away from Lakeshore. Take Just public do, transit. Take and, public transit as and well. And here's the Wheeler tip. Stay north. Yeah. Stay north of the stadium and walk down because yeah. there's no chance you're find moving somewhere, along the Lakeshore. Find somewhere in Liberty Village. Find yes. somewhere else to park and you should King, be okay. King Street West, Dufferin. Yep. Just stay up there. The fire have not been very good this year. I think no. by all accounts, this is a rebuilding year for a club that's been in a bit, in a bit of a really tough spot the last few years. But it seems like there is a plan in place Going, <laughs> you're smirking. Gilberto, <laughs> our friend, is is gone. He had mutual termination of his contract. Seems like he's heading back to Brazil. This is a game. This is a, not a. We did this a lot last year with these should wins or could wins or must wins. But I'll you, go must. I'll go must win. I think okay, so. Because I you're playing so. the last place team in the Eastern Conference, and it's completely congested. You've had a week off now to rest some key players. You, you had the chance to rest a Drew Moore last week and Benny for most of the games. Uh, most of the game. Uh, Oso didn't start no, either. No. Like, so some of your key players are going to be 100% raring to go against a team that is coming off a win over San Jose, but a team that has been up and down all season long and you really don't know what to expect. This is a team that's fragile and a team that I think that if you're going to mount a challenge to win the Eastern Conference, like, it's still very early. Um, but at the same time, you want to win these home games against inferior teams like Chicago. 100%. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. Speaking of the East, before we go, New York City FC is emerging as maybe the favorite in the Eastern Conference. Maybe some of these guys that people wrote, wrote off, just can't play at Yankee Stadium because no one can because it's a horrible I, place to play. I like them to start the season. I, re- <laughs> I really, really did. And it said something to me when they sat like seven or eight starters when they came to Toronto. Yeah. And they used their depth and they still gave TFC a game earlier in the year. And I don't think TFC played their best that game, but still, it's going to be a very difficult game. And you cannot discount talents like Villa and Lampard and Pirlo. These guys you know, can the emergence, play. The emergence of Jack Harrison. Yes, right. Number one overall there's, pick. There's, there's, there's a good mix developing there. I still think that they might be a year away, which is saying something when you have aging players yeah. like some of them that they do have, they have in their team. But um, I'm not sure if they're the best team in the Eastern Conference, but they're a very dangerous team. Who's better? <sighs> You're sold on Philly. No, I'm not. I'm not He's, sold on Philly, he, too. I'm not, I don't know who the best team is. It could be TFC at the end of the year. 
It's crazy. It is legitimately. It, this is the other thing. The Reds have treaded water. Remember when the, when New York City <laughs> FC got pasted seven 0 yeah. in the derby <laughs> against the Red Bulls? So that's why. And they were like, left for dead. You left know how dead. I'm a fan of the Revs, and this team continues to stumble, coughing up a two nil lead, a two nothing lead against Montreal. Yeah. Last weekend, and given that Kamara all away, Kamara really hasn't kicked off yet. Well, I know he finally he, scored he last weekend, yeah. but that's a team I still think is so dangerous. Um, in the East, Columbus has obviously taken a step back. Montreal added that the, the striker from Mancuso from uh, from Par. From Maybe Parma. Montreal yeah. could be in the uh, Montreal for TFC. Me, the two for me, New York Montreal teams. is one of those teams that'll be around the top at the and end. And the two teams from New York. Yep. All right. Episode fifty six. Nice to be back. Nice to be talking TFC with you folks. Hopefully, we get this on the regular more as we enter. This summer we're on. Grind. We're on the right now that you're home. Yeah. Uh, other than like the one road trip where yeah. it's Columbus, uh, San Jose. San Jose. But I think we'll still be good. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. So good to be back. Good to and also thank you so much for listening. As always, rate us on iTunes. It helps us get up on the ratings chart so more eyes can see it and also listen on SoundCloud. That's it. Episode fifty six in the books for Gareth and I. Thank you for listening to Come On You Reds. Mm-hmm.